So what's in the sort of flatbread? Yeah, so it's called tepla. It's from the Gujarats. It's got a chapati flour, like normal Indian yeah. flour, and then it's got a number of other flours. It's got bajla, which is millet flour. It's got jor, which is sorghum flour. Yeah. It's got gram flour, which a lot of people know, which is made okay. from uh, their pulse chickpeas. Like okay. Chickpeas. And um, medhi, which is fenugreek, which is really good for you. So it's got lots of fenugreek leaves that have been chopped up. That's over here. There. That's over there. Yeah. And then lots of uh, spices as well. So. Not too many, but just enough. And then it's, some it's, green chilli and some ginger. Oh, lovely. So I'm just going to add a little bit of oil. This is the Travelling Through Podcast. I'm your host, Emma, and today's guest is Cooley Singh of Cooley's Kitchen, a Londoner whose family originate from the Punjab in India. He's cooking me a simple roti dish, after which we sit down to talk about his thoughts on London, the world and life. What kind of olive oil are you using? I'm just using ordinary olive oil okay. in this case, but maybe I should use extra virgin, but yeah, it's all good. Is it a kind of skillet pack? What yeah, this is a tava, which is a very Indian... Thing that we make all our lotties and stuff on. And you eat this as a kind of pancake on its own, or do you? Yeah, you can have it on its own. You can probably have it with some yogurt and maybe some pickle. Okay. Yeah, so is that homemade, homemade pickle? Homemade pickle there. Fantastic! This is going to be a a treat for me. <laughs> and the dish in, in total is called tebla. 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 T T H E P L A. T H E P L A. Yeah, so TH becomes a T, you don't say... T, oh, it's like Spanish T. Yeah, like Tebla. the Spanish also do it. Okay. Right, I look forward to trying this. Okay, I think we might be ready. Just, uh, or maybe it's a bit raw and that's it. And then we're done. Perfect. I taste a bit of the fenugreek on its own, just to see. Yeah, I yeah, think I've only had fenugreek seeds. So oh, yeah, yeah, and it's the same. Yeah. It's quite bitter. I overspiced, I think they used more chilli than I should have done, so I hope it's okay. No, it's not, the fenugreek isn't, well I just had a bit of the leaf, is, is the bitterness in the stem, do you think, more? Because it doesn't, that doesn't taste It should too. be slightly bitter, but it's not that bitter, is it? No. Maybe they're taking the bitterness out of these things. Mm. Thank you. There you go. Wow. Amazing, and these are the home, homemade pickles are, so that's, what's in your pickles? There's carrot, red pepper, green chilli. And then it's got mustard seed and spices. Okay, and then you eat that with the... Uh, mm. This is very rude of me, because I'm left-handed, and in India, you can't use your left hand, can you? Well, so I'm born here, so I'm <laughs> using my left hand. Oh, are you? Mm. So are you left-handed? No, no. right-handed. So when you go to India, are you... Do you have to... Do you have no, to, no. to think? No, to, to no we don't right? have anything like that. Okay. People are very middle-class and different now, so the world's mm. changed. Oh. That's totally delicious. Mmm, pickles good. Spicy. Mmm, yeah, spicy rather than hot. So when when do you use red chili rather than um, than a green chili? They they taste quite different. So green chili to me is more herby, and we use it in lots of things. Like there's green chili in here, but there's also red chili. Mmm. Could have done with a bit more salt, I think. Mmm, that's lovely for me. <laughs> Thank you. But you can, unexpected. But when you taste this, you do feel like it's doing you good. Definitely. Mm. And there's yogurt in there as well, so in the dough. In the dough, okay. Yeah. And what is it? Just an ordinary, an ordinary. I use yogurt. yogurt. Do you? Yeah. So do you um, do you do this as a as one of the recipes that you you're cooking at? Not yet, but I think I will. Mm. It's really good. Mm. That's lovely. And this is generally eaten. 
as a starter or as a I don't know actually. I think it's a lunchtime thing. Mm-hmm. But Jawachis they're great at all these amazing snacks that they make, so a lot of them are vegetarian. Mm-hmm. So it's very much um, a Punjab, a, a dish no, from the Punjab. No, Gujarat. From oh, the Gujarat. West. Oh, no. Gujarat. No, not my people. Okay. It's the people in the West of India. Well, you know how your body just wants something, and my body really wants it, so. <laughs> Mm. I believe in that as well. I really believe in um, listening to your body. I didn't know my body wanted this, but it did. We'll make some more later. Mm. Lovely. Well, you know, okay. I just love cooking for people, and obviously that's been missing in my life. Also, reflecting on in the past, I haven't had people around enough because I'm always like Mr. Perfectionist. So, oh, that bit was spicy. Mm. It's woken me up. That's lovely. Thank you very much. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Radio so here I am today with Kulwinder Singh. Your name is Kulwinder, your first name Kulwinder, but your friends call you Cooley. They do, yeah. Yes. It kind of started when I was, I think, at junior school. Yes. I don't know how that translates into the numbers in today's world, but yeah, I guess I was little and... Uh, yeah, it just got abbreviated by some people to Cooley and it kind of stuck and so here I am. Yes, yeah. Um, Do you ever use your full name? Passport, probably. Yeah, passport and stuff and actually at work I tend to have both. So Do you? Yeah, okay. normally it has cool and then Cooley in brackets, but mm-hmm. people tend to call me Cooley. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't mind if people call me <laughs> by my proper name. Okay. It's all good. I think for me, I'll probably call you Cooley today. Yeah, because that's, that's how you that's know me. That's how I was introduced to you. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first time I met you was actually at Travelling Through at the bookshop. Indeed. You've been to an event with Steve Marriott and talking about the walking route, the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. Yeah, it must be how many years ago? 2015 that was. So that's. Wow. Six years ago. Six years ago, the Camino, yes. Yes. Have you walked the Camino? I would have loved to. So, indeed, I I met Steve a little bit before that, and um, I was at his launch party for his first book. Oh, Candy Floss Guitar. Candy Floss Guitar. Yeah, we connected through that, and uh, I think we realised we, in some ways, we were both in the same path, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of moving away from our corporate life and. we both have a, a passion for travel and, and Spain in particular, so we've become friends ever since. Yeah. Um, as I said, you know, having found your amazing bookshop, and uh, I just moved to the SE One area as well, so I was living just down the road, oh, really, like a ten-minute right. walk from um, Lower Marsh and travelling through. So it was so wonderful to be in your bookshop and and then have a friendly, familiar face. And it's really important where in central London it can be you can feel quite lost and it can be a little bit of a, a lonely place a lonely sometimes place yes i didn't realize that you had actually just moved to the area when i opened the shop because it seemed to be the case for quite a few people who did come into the shop that they had also just moved to the area and so we were we were all new new people together as it when were when had you moved in then when did traveling through open it opened in 
October 2014. Wow, so that's weird. I hadn't, I, I, you know how you just assume things. So I just assumed that you'd been there kind of forever. Oh, so did you? How okay. weird. I, I didn't know you just, yeah, just moved Yeah, so you were in, brand so. new. So there yeah, you go. So that's, that's that new energy. And that was my, I guess, a year later for me, yeah. I moved in. And yes, yeah. Yeah, in fact, in, the, that yeah. event was six months after wow. it opened. So okay. yeah, it was still... I was still finding my feet myself, actually, wow. at that point. But then we don't know. We just make assumptions about people, we do. don't we? So yeah. you, know, you turn up at a bookshop and you think it's been there forever. I hadn't known that until mm. now, actually. There we go. But you visited the shop for quite a few of the different different events that we had. But I remember I did, that, yeah. that you actually um, you were on a bit of a food journey, or just starting on a bit of a food journey. That's fair to say, yeah. Yeah, mm. and... and um, your friend, I think it was Claudia, who came and you, you were considering <laughs> running an event at the shop, but I wasn't really set up properly for a, with a kitchen to do that. And well, I think we had it, a good chat, didn't we? Yeah. We did. And I know you were quite reticent about the food journey. It was still quite new for you and you weren't sure whether it was the path that you wanted. But now you've changed your Instagram name, I see, to Cooley's Kitchen. So clearly there has been quite a bit of progress since since we closed the shop, which was in 2019 now. So what's been happening on your... Yeah, I guess progress can be gradual and we wake up one morning and we, we look and we see, look at what's changed. So it doesn't happen overnight. But yeah, I'm certainly in the process of, of, of changing and um, we have done a... Again, funny enough, Claudia and I and, and uh, others have, have joined forces and... We've done a number of events, so I've done a few pre-COVID. We did a few wellness events in in in, in real life, in person, with others. In, yeah, in, uh, yes. You know, uh, day events, which were wonderful. We've even and forgotten, almost forgotten what that is. Well, it does seem strange, doesn't it? It's so funny how when the status quo changes, we kind of forget how things were, and uh, we just think where we are has been here forever, which it is, isn't the case. And We'll be out of this soon, but but yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. Yes. So your food journey really did it begin from home as a as a youngster and with the food that you were being given at home by your mum because your your parents are from the Punjab. You were telling me. Yeah, originally. Yeah. Yes. Mm, or my yeah that that's sort of the part of the world that my parents are originally from. All their families are from originally. My dad's family are in Delhi, mm-hmm. but yeah, they they hail from slightly further north in, yes. in the Punjab, in the yeah. Indian part, yeah. And the food that uh, your mum cooked for you as a child, was it a mix of all sorts of things or was it very much from the Punjab? Or was yeah, just... I mean, my mum's a great cook and just a consummate, very instinctive cook. And mm-hmm. She's been cooking all her life. So, you know, whatever she turns her hand to, it's normally amazing and it doesn't require a recipe and it doesn't require... <laughs> measuring spoons but it's done with instinct and love but yeah it tends it has tended to focus on the recipes and the and the stuff that's been bestowed upon her from her mother and and, and family okay and so that's what i grew up with there was always time of course for the odd bit of in inverted commas english food or you know fish and chips and though i say it finless crispy pancakes but yeah <laughs> On the whole, it was good, wholesome, real, proper cooking. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, when you grow up, you just take how you're brought up for granted. And when you get older, you realise that not necessarily everyone has the same upbringing. So it's interesting. And again, thinking that I think the immigrant experience for a lot of people, you know, 
there's challenges. Obviously, challenges are quite often with, you know, understanding the host culture and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and there's issues, you know, with making our way in the world and finances and that kind of thing. But I think a lot of immigrant communities, one thing that they do have, which is quite a strength, can be the, the food culture and the strength of that in terms of having real home cooked food yes. and having that appreciation of, of real food and the importance of it and food and community, yep. which invariably go together, of course, food, definitely. community, family. So they are definitely points of strength. And where we're realising increasingly in this world today how divorced we are from those mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of us are looking to actually get back and embrace those values. Yes. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. That I mean, meeting around the table with people just to talk and eat good food it's such a simple concept. Yes, it's it's so necessary for survival. We have to eat, but also just for our mental survival too, to be able to interact with people and get ideas and and just talk really and, and in a ra- relaxed environment. And I, in today's society where we've tended to go down, well, for, for quite a while down this fast food track and it's fast food and everything on the run, you never sit down and actually sit around the table and enjoy food. But culturally... That's very important. I mean, we grew up always sat around the table, and and now even now I, I like to sit at a table to to eat. I mean, sometimes it's nice to have TV dinners, but the the ones I really enjoy are sitting around the table because you can talk and the food's there and you've got colour and you've got taste and you've just got. It's not gourmet food always. Not always, it's just, and nor does it have to be. No, yeah. no, no, exactly. Um, you know, we have to get through days and, and and weeks, and it doesn't always have to be gourmet. So. It, but it can still be delicious and it can still be everyday and delicious and it yeah. can be sustaining and nourishing Definitely. and delicious every day too. It's about getting into those habits and I think the food industry has got a lot to answer for in terms of making us think that we have got our priorities wrong and actually we're too important and too clever and you know all of these things and too busy rushing around doing important things apart from the most basics of sustaining us. Yeah, yeah. It'd definitely be the other way around. But of course the food companies, the food industry needs our money and wants our money. And Since the war where they had all of this ability to process food from the Second World War and that war effort, mm. they needed new customers and uh, they piggybacked on the fact that suddenly both breadwinners were working. Yes. Yeah. And so they took that vacuum and exploited it. And uh, we're here today because of that constant marketing mm. that we've had thrown at us from, dare I say, the 40s onwards. Yes. Yeah. And here, here we are now where so much processed food is being consumed in uh, certainly in many countries. I think, you know, often we idolise the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet, for example. And the original Mediterranean diet is amazing, but... In all of these countries, the, the trends are the same, mm-hmm. and in Asia as well. So, you know, we look at Japan and Korea, and, and dare I say, middle-class India. You know, people are eating more processed food. They're idolising fast food, and they think this is the way. Yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, for example, in India, they're spending a huge amount of money on, uh, you know, this fast food, which they think is status. Do and then, you know, there's all of this metabolic syndrome, diabetes, all of these illnesses that are yeah. happening. Yes. Again, I mean, it's a twofold thing, right? You know, also amongst the chattering classes, there are a lot of people who, who worry about their health a lot more than they used to do as well. So, but, but unfortunately, um, there's always a lot of people who are, there's a lot of people out there who are suffering. And in, in the UK, of course, it tends to be based on poverty mm. and um, mm-hmm. lack of education and knowledge. 
I think it's interesting that also since since the pandemic and th since the the number of, the, the number of lockdowns were up to lockdown three now. <laughs> I believe so. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm losing seems, count. No, too. I know. It just seems like one continuous lockdown. But anyway, um, but how people are are going? Some people, anyway, are going back to the basics of making their own bread and cooking again because they s suddenly they're at home. They're not. They're, they have more time because they're it was very much a time poor environment because people were spending so much energy getting to the place of work coming back by the time they were back people are tired and so they go for the quick fast option whereas now people are working from home and therefore they have more time to spend on this thing so it's going to be interesting to see whether the health of the nation will actually improve as a result of it however it was interesting that when the government gave the the vouchers, you know, go go and dine, and and it was for McDonald's as well, and the queues. Everyone oh, I was remember. talking about that, going that. to McDonald's. Yeah. So you just think, why? <laughs> People but, do what they're used to. Yes, um, it, but I mean that, that just again. shows how entrenched it is within our our psyche and our mindset that it's as you said, it's it's considered a treat to eat something that actually is bad for your body. Essentially, exactly. eating all the time, but once in a while, fine. But unfortunately, <clears throat> how many people do that once in a while, and it becomes more than once in a while. But anyway, we are digressing totally. But, but again, you know, just to finish that off, though, I think um, it, it becomes quite divided. So I think with the lockdown, you find that a lot of people are eating better, as you said, and finding the time and cooking more and making their own bread and stuff. But then again. A lot of people are suffering because they've got all this time at home and they're eating a lot more sugar and that's you know, true. there's a lot of yeah. people saying they're Good putting point. on weight and mm. all those things. So there's always two sides to a story. Of course. And very much so. I think a lot of people are suffering as well. You know? yeah. so, so some people are thriving in amongst it, as you said, and yeah. cooking better and eating better. But then a lot of people are suddenly, we're not as busy and then yes. know, all of these other addictions start to take hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After school, you went to you went to university at, at Cambridge, and there a different world. And you didn't go to study food science. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, no. I mean, um, I didn't. I guess I didn't really think about food that much when I was young, because, like I said, because of our family environment and my parents' values of of food that's home cooked. And you know, we we didn't go out eating out all the time and stuff. That wasn't a thing. And actually, reflecting, I think. For most of the country, there's been a lot of changes. You know, in the 80s, people didn't just didn't tend to go out and eat a lot. Yeah. And uh, it's been democratised a lot, you know, irrespective of culture. It's been democratised a lot over the, the last 20, 30 years. I just took it for granted, really, I guess. Um, I, I, I was very always very vocal, I think, as a child, and I knew what I liked. And there's could be quite fussy, as, as a lot of us younger, younger people often are. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I was very, I had the fortune at university where I was at King's College and King's, interestingly enough, we have this amazing neo-Gothic dining hall. It's a bit like Hogwarts. So, Is it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in those three years, I lived a bit of a charmed life of uh, having an amazing time with my wonderful new new friends who, who some of them are, I think will be friends for life and still got some really, really good friends out there. Yeah. Hello, everyone, <laughs> um, who I love to bits and I've known since those days. So food was laid on for us. Yeah, um, yes. I was lucky enough to have all three years in college, so I didn't have to 
worry about finding accommodation elsewhere. It was all, all three years in, in college. In fact, my final year, long story, but anyway, I ended up getting a, a set. So a set's like a, where you're lucky enough to have a room and a adjoining living room, which was um, once occupied by E.M. Forster oh, was back it? in the day. Oh, so. my goodness. Claim to fame. Yeah, so that's the claim to fame. Um, <laughs> Could you cook in there then? Did it, so you uh, couldn't. So, yeah, the second year hostel that I was in, which was a sporting hostel, that actually had kind of shared commu- kitchen kitchen facilities. And no, no, yes, even, even within the older bits of the college, you'd have kitchens, but I'd hardly ever use them. I think I did a dinner party once. I think once I cooked for other people, and I think friends were marking that it was okay. Yes. But it's a it's a hazy, distant memory. Okay. But otherwise, King's Food, it, certainly back in the day, I don't know about now, but wasn't famous for being particularly notably good or not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it wasn't really a big part of my life until later on okay. when I left and then I had to fend for myself. So yes. I ended up living on, on my own with, friend, with other university friends. And yeah. uh, I guess we had to fend, had to fend for ourselves yeah. and cook for ourselves. And had your, but growing up at any point, had your mother taught you how to, taught you how to cook some of the dishes ever or was it no just I, of, I, I like did I said you phone her up afterwards and say how do you cook this no, dish I don't think so I just think I had so little interest and mm. I was so busy in my life you yeah know, and, and studies and, and what have you that it really wasn't wasn't really a thing until later on and yeah. then uh as you can see we're surrounded by cookbooks <laughs> we are yes. Oh my yeah. goodness, I hadn't noticed quite how many you um, had here. Yeah, I'm still still. You got a pyramid, out a homes. pyramid of cookbooks. Yeah, I'm still, I've got to um, build a bookcase for some of these to go in yeah. since I've moved. You've but got um, banish, banish your belly and uh, the <laughs> plant is, power way, Indian essence. There we go. There we go. There's, it's there's all sorts. But yeah, um, yeah I guess um, Nigel Slater at university. One of my friends had one of his books, mm-hmm. Real Fast Food. That's a bit of a classic now, and it's a small paperback book, and it was amazing. And I love his way of looking at food, which is not being really prescriptive. And you know, he'd have recipes, and it's an amazing little paperback which has so many useful recipes. And to this day, you know, his his books are really good, and he he follows that philosophy of taking a recipe and saying, "Look, you can do it like this. If you've got this thing, if you haven't got this thing, it doesn't matter. Or maybe you should do this, or maybe you should use this." Yes. And I think it's a really good way of thinking about food. And if we try and make everything perfect and follow someone's recipe to a tea, it's not it's, it's not always a, a good thing. So it's much better if we try and trust our instincts a bit and don't worry too much if we don't have the exact ingredients. And that's definitely my mum's philosophy as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she'd often look at me quite bemused when I'm there with my books and measuring <laughs> spoons and things. And, you know, that's not what Indian mothers do. They, they, <laughs> they cook with instinct and uh, better, much the better for it, I think. Yeah, yes. But your, so your journey from university then took you into the working world, as it were, and you, you worked with, was it for IBM Pathly? Yeah, so um, I started off working for IBM. That was my first job. So mm. I kind of worked for them as a pre-university employee because I had to take a year off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I've been in technology ever since. And you're, you, you went from working for quite a large company then, well, not quite, a very large company in the corporate world, as it were, um, into uh, working as a consultant. So you've experienced both sides of, of the working environment. And I wonder whether working in those two worlds and the experience you, 
you've got from that is now driving partly your how the food how your how your new kind of path with food may go or is it too early to say too early to say yeah i guess i've i've just been working in the corporate world for a long time and it's time for me to think about other things and my passion and this food journey just carries on it's just uh, never ending for me it's um what was the it's trigger? an obsession and what, a passion what, what was the trigger for i think i think uh, i don't know it's hard to really think about it's just a progression over the last you know 25 years ever since i've lived on my own i've mm-hmm. just got more and more interested and initially obviously just cooking for ourselves but then yeah. it got combined with the health thing so yeah you know i think as a lot of us some of us you know in our 20s and 30s we were so busy running around and our values were different and spent a lot of time just having a good time and not really thinking about our bodies that much and yes, uh, yeah. our health and as you get older then you realize that we need to think about that mm-hmm. to a certain extent and and then i'm com- just combining it with my absolute passion about about cooking on food and maybe it's because you know my job would often be quite anal- analytical and logical and uh there wasn't enough creativity in my life and maybe it was that that yearning for mm-hmm. creation mm-hmm. i think we should all create not having that outlet maybe that you know i found my outlet to create through food uh i guess playing the guitar to some extent is another way i get some creativity mm-hmm. you know? so mm-hmm. it's good that we should all have an outlet to create yeah and, uh, you know rather than just maybe uh yeah, maybe I had enough of just just doing what I what I'd done in terms of the corporate thing, which was to me, you know, I kind of sold out a little bit. You know, I didn't follow the neuroscience path. I didn't necessarily follow a passion. You know, I wanted to do well. I wanted to do well, and I wanted to set myself up and have some financial security. I guess so. That's in many ways why I followed that path. Mm-hmm. And you're you also have travelled quite a lot, and I wonder whether. The travel and tasting food abroad as well helped to kind of um, spark that that love for food and uh, and different styles of food and um, flavors and, and and make you think more about food in in a day in a way beyond just cooking for yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess um, having been born in the UK with an Indian family means that automatically you have quite a, a split personality in terms of the way you look at the world. So you're already, even from a very young age, mm-hmm. you know, you, it, it, it's, it's in many ways a gift, but also a curse. So you have that ability to code, code switch between the two worlds and you have a knowledge of these two worlds in terms of culture and, and indeed in terms of food. And then as you get older and you're in London, which is already this melting pot of of people who are, you know, I guess like myself, you know, many of us are, have our feet in, in, in two cultures thousands mm-hmm. of miles away. It yes. gives you quite a lot of strength in terms of ability to kind of switch and, and combine things and understand those combinations. And so therefore, then being able to go out there into the world and then travel a lot, I travel a lot just because I, I took it upon myself to travel a lot 
on holiday and, and, and trips. But then also at one point in my life, in my 20s, I was in a startup company and uh, I, got, I was, got the gift of traveling a lot mm-hmm. on business. And, oh, brilliant. Uh, all around yeah. Europe and uh, certain parts of the world, the US and uh, other parts of the world as well. Um, and then I've, you know, I've done most continents apart from Antarctica, obviously little, little slivers. But it, yeah, it's such a gift to be able to go out there and see people's views and, and, and yeah, of course for me, the fascination of food. Um, I love, for example, like I keep on going back to Thailand. I just love the culture there, the, the laid back lifestyle and the, the food is amazing. So, you know, I, I love Indian food, but then Thailand takes things in another direction. And then closer to home, I, I'm, I just love Spain in terms of European food. I just think it's amazing. I just love that, that unapologetic way that the Spanish have such unapologetic attitude to food and, and they have punchy flavours, which I think, I don't know, with, with an Indian kind of palate, you can understand, you know, lots of garlic. They might not use spices, of course, but the garlic and the saffron and, and uh, yeah, sometimes I like to think, uh, you know, cooking with a soul of a Spanish peasant is definitely a good thing. So with the travels that you've done, uh, obviously food has played a big part in that exploration but is it because of food food has influenced which parts of the world you've gone to and when you've got to a country or a continent where you've headed for or or is it just a case of you stumbled across it or you always do you always look for certain kind of places like the like the um, the street foods or the street markets or or do you not think about it? Is it just I think there's of... a lot of stumbling, I think. I think it, there's, a, there's a certain joy of, uh, I think, sometimes not knowing that much when you go somewhere. Yes. You know? So not, not reading the spoilers. Yeah, yes. And just uh, enjoying it. And um, discovering. Yeah. And discovering. And yeah, I agree with you. Like, the joy of street food is incredible. So yeah. rather than going to a fancy place, you know, when I was younger, I was always about the fancy places. And now I'm like, actually, no, I want somewhere with soul. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather go to a place, just forget about street food, but I'd rather go to a place where there's that feeling of, of love and that community. And like, you know, I remember going with my parents to Cyprus. And for them, you know, sometimes you go to places and they treat you like literally like family, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's almost like their living room and they've got their kid running around and there's so many places around the world where you do get these little places which are family-run affairs and there's that soul of the home there and they're not necessarily expensive but you know that's that's I think that's the joy where you have that 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 gift of that real that real love that comes into home cooking of course the Michelin star and gourmet stuff has its own place in life but, yes, yes. but you know it's, it's more theatre isn't it yeah it's exactly theater. it's all part of the art form of perfection but mm. I think all of us, if we had that, if we were to answer that time-honoured question about our last meal at the gallows, mm. often people will go to comfort food and home, homely food, not some really strange, obscure, some very kind of artful uh, gourmet or cordon yeah. bleu dish. It would normally be something with heart and soul. And then street food, you know, that takes that to another level in so many cultures there. Street food is huge, and of course, in this country, you know, it's become massive over the last. Yeah, years. it's but amazing. Before that, it? I always used to think, why don't we have street food in this country? Like, what's wrong? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But suddenly, because of the blending and the melting pot, I think, and people, I guess, saw that there was a 
opportunity and Definitely. suddenly again you know this this is a whole nother this could be a whole separate podcast but you know i can't necessarily say that it's accessible to all because mm. street food in this country is quite expensive it you know, is you some end of it's up paying, very expensive yeah, you depending can where you go yeah, you can yeah. easily like spend a tenner on on, on something yeah and yeah. Uh, but i still think it it makes it more accessible because even in the most humble and basic of restaurant by the time you've had the meal and then maybe you know you probably eat more there anyway and then you've had play the service charge and all of that stuff it ends up being a fair amount so if yeah. you just ha have that very simple transaction of a stall mm -hmm. you get one dish and there's that wonder of a given stall merchant having done that thing mm. and done it you know perfection it this this dish I'm giving you I've perfected it I you know I'm making it day in day out maybe less so here but certainly when you go to Asia and other places you know this will be the best x and y and z you know this might be the best deli alu chaat for example you know that is it you know this is it you know this is where they do one of the best ones they do it day in day out for them it's i know it's survival but for you, for us it's like literally a work of art you know yes. it's, it's it's taking that thing and the depth of their hand the the instinct of making it you yeah. know that's such a beautiful thing that That and you're perfection. seeing it. Yeah. It's actually you're seeing it from literally. It is from from the kitchen or from the, from the grill in front of you or the the wok or whatever it is being cooked in front of you, and then you're eating it fresh. I think it's that it's that pleasure of seeing it being cooked in front of you, and then you're eating it immediately. Quite often, at a table with benches with people you've never met before, and and never, sometimes you have a conversation, sometimes you don't. But it's just it's that delight again of people sitting around eating freshly cooked food. And COVID friendly. So again, again <laughs> yes, like today, actually, I yeah. cycled up to Putney and uh, by the river, there was actually quite a few stalls were there? that yeah. were set up with, with queues. So yeah, yeah, so there we go. Yes. Um, so with your, on your, um, with Cooley's Kitchen, you've done some supper clubs at home, but not here in Richmond where you are now. No, no, where you not, were in... not here, but before when I was in Southwark, yeah. yeah. Because I remember coming to, to one of them and I think it, I was a guinea pig, so it was really before you'd actually started properly, officially started. The kind of cooking that you are producing for the supper clubs, what's your focus for it? Do you have a concept that you will only cook certain foods or is your idea to to change a menu or mix menus uh, between kind of like a first course main course dessert or is it a seasonal thing or how, how are you going about it things change as uh, with the time and, and what i see out there so i think at the moment food in london certainly is it can be quite fashion-led yeah um i guess i have a central core which is well there's two parts of me so i'm dragged in two directions so one part of me is dragged just in that can i make the most delicious the most authentic, the most gourmet, and I get pulled in that direction, and yeah. it makes me want to, you know, go and make coquenvin, or you know, <laughs> how 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 could I make the ratatouille that would be worthy of someone over in Provence? So there's that direction, and then the other direction is, and increasingly, you know, having recently done a wellness event over Zoom, where yes. we created this amazing community. So I did that with Claudia and Alpa. And we created this amazing community to help people. It's called Look Good, Feel Good, to, to, mm -hmm. to basically for people to, in this particularly in this time, to have that community to to be be healthy and, and, and to help people 
had better habits. Claudia did an amazing job making sure that everyone had that accountability and that one-to-one. Mm-hmm. And then I did a number of cooking lessons. So that's okay. very much about having that intersection of deliciousness and food that's amazing and delicious and, 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 and tasty, but then having that focus on the health as well and, okay. and yeah. understanding that those things aren't mutually exclusive. So that's another side of it. Yeah, that intersection of both things can happily happen, but then I'm happy to go down the road of, okay, I'm trying to be healthier. Mm-hmm. What kind of dishes? And that fascinates me. What kind of dishes can I have? Rather than doing, I don't know, there's a lot of guys, for example, who just eat like bland chicken breast and broccoli, which I think <laughs> is a complete anathema to me. So there's that kind of, you know, very yeah. much counting calories or counting macros. It's become very fashionable. Is I'm it? counting mm-hmm. my macros, you know, it's like how many grams of fat, how many grams of carbohydrate, oh God, carbohydrates are bad, you know, all of this stuff. And, you know, we've, we've ended up being this kind of, you know, you've got a bottom up and top down world. So this very sort of bottom up approach of thinking of food in terms of that components. And that's not how it works. And mm. we're learning that calorie counting and these things, it's not how we should be looking at food. It's no. so much more intricate and complex. And now that we're learning about the microbiome, you know, if your engine isn't running properly, yeah. And then you put bad stuff into it, then you get this, you get a negative feedback loop. Yes. So it's so important that if we go back to some of the principles and the values of cultures that had a food culture going back, then I think, you know, we can get, well, one, it, it tends to be delicious. Yes, yes. And then I always laugh that, you know, if you were to eat like a peasant, mm. you'll probably be really healthy because you get that diversity and, uh, um, you know, it, it's usually simple food. Um, and you're eating the seasons and as you're well. easily eat, yeah. automatically you're yeah. eating the seasons yeah. because it's what what's on the land you yes. know what's what's around you and then you learn to respect every bit of it we're getting so divorced from that where you know we go to the supermarket and everything's wrapped in plastic and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know children are growing up where they've got no understanding of the most basic sort of fruit and vegetables and then you know meat mm-hmm. you know it's like what is this with, with loads of chicken breasts everyone's just eating chicken breast one it's the most bland, you <laughs> yes. know, boring, especially if it's, and on the whole in supermarkets, it tends to be factory farms. Yeah. You know, like this yeah. horrible, like Frankenstein kind of food. It's um, battery chicken and stuff. It's horrendous. Yeah. So, yes. so because of that, it's got no texture. It's really bad for you because it's pumped full of antibiotics and God knows what. With your food journey, oh, yeah, what you're going yeah. to put on the yeah. plate with your yeah. menus. I kind of, like a lot of people are doing now, is kind of mix it up. Mm. If I do Mediterranean, then I quite like mixing from that Mediterranean basin. There's so many things. So I did a recent charity cooking lesson where two of the main things that we cooked, one was Piedmontese peppers from Italy, and then kisser, which is an amazing bulgur wheat salad. Okay. uh, Which is sort of more like Turkey, Syria, that part of the world where wheat actually came from originally. And so things that are close by can work together well. I wouldn't necessarily mix from opposite parts of the world well, necessarily. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, so the regionality is important. But then, yes, I have that pull of gourmet versus just looking at the health. But, you know, those things can intersect yeah. quite well as well. So The cooking we get on television is a very sort of chef-based cooking rather than what we can actually achieve on an evening where we just want something quick and easy to cook that's healthy. We've forgotten, me included, what goes together that can very easily create something that's quick and easy to make, it's healthy, and it's tasty. 
perhaps a bit tasty at the top of that. And sometimes it's just like a question of adding, I don't know, some chopped parsley or a herb or something. And, and But we've forgotten how to do that basic cooking, shall we say, that came naturally to people who worked the land. It was just because that's all they had. They no, no, completely agree. I think um, but it, a lot's to do with the last few generations that have come up and mm -hmm. because we've had so much processed food thrown at us, people, yeah, we're not growing up with that instinct. Mm -hmm. And it's instinct, isn't it? That's been handed down and we only build that instinct by we have to exercise that muscle in terms of having that ability of just taking things and, yeah, again, it's not about the recipe books in those cases, mm -hmm. is it? It's really about being taken by the hand, being led by the hand and being taught mm -hmm. at the start then gives you an armory, right? So yeah. then you're like, okay, well, you know, I've got an aubergine and then I know that I can put them in a pot and then I can stew them down and they'll taste good and I can, you know, yeah. add some tomatoes and garlic because they go together. And as you said, some flat leaf parsley would be great there. Or Yeah, yes. Um, it's having that understanding of how flavours go, go well together. Mm -hmm. And you build that up with time. Mm. Um, ha ha, pardon the pun. No, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> great herb, by the way. Yeah, it is. But you've got an event that's coming up next Saturday. Which is called... Which I know, remember, which I now know, <laughs> you know is next Saturday. It's called, um, I, in fact, I had to write it down because I knew I wouldn't remember, Delicious Nights In, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. And the concept behind that is... So we've done a few of these. We, we're we collaborating with The Lodge, which is um, a, a, a yoga studio uh, out in Bermondsey. And mm -hmm. they do, it's more than yoga, they do all kinds of activities. And it, it's an amazing, wonderful place. So big shout to The Lodge. Okay. Out, out Bermondsey Way. Okay, um, we'll make sure we, we'll put the links to them in the, we, in we the show indeed. notes. Yes. Um, so we're collaborating with them. Yes. And yeah, so we've obviously we've done a fair few of these part of the Look Good Feel Good program and I did a charity event recently and Claudia and I felt that it'd be really good to carry this on at the moment. Zoom cooking's a, a fun thing and people are, you know, the pandemic's has changed behaviour to some extent and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is a great way of forging a bit of community getting people to be led by the hand and, and learn some new cooking techniques uh, and, and just, just create some recipes together. And then we sit down and we eat together as well, which is really mm -hmm. nice. So yes. it's about that community, which is so important to Uchi Wellness and to Kuli's Kitchen. So, so key. Yes. And also having done a few of these now, you know, whereas I would have been maybe a bit against doing it in the past, Obviously, you'd prefer to meet in person in some yeah, cases, but yeah. you know, I think it will lead us to a more of a hybrid world where mm -hmm. you know we, we obviously want to do a lot of things face to face, but sometimes you can't, and then obviously you can um, you can have people from all over. If yeah, that's what I was going to say. It geographically, gives a real opportunity to include people from other parts of the world who may not be able to come to you directly, but can still be part of an event, or you have separate events. But but also, I, th I thought just when you were talking there. It's lovely meeting up in person and you cook together, but it's also, I imagine, that because you're actually cooking in your own kitchen, you're actually more comfortable because you're, you know where all your utensils are and everything. And so it's actually, sometimes you do, when you do cook something, like when I went to Thailand and I learned to cook all these amazing dishes and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. But I came back here and I tried to replicate it. And it was a labour of love and it took me like five hours to do. Whereas if you're doing it for the first time in your own kitchen, 
it's almost like you've done it once in your own space. I in your kind whether, of home environment. Yeah, so I wonder yeah. whether there's actually yeah. some mileage in this in carrying on with doing some uh, Zoom meetups, which allows people to, to cook from their own home. There's definitely pluses and minuses. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's, that, that's a very good point. You know, yeah, people are in their comfort zone. But then again, you know, some people would argue that they'd rather be face to face and have yes. that connection. Of course. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously as a teacher, it was fairly terrifying when I started. It's yes. like, oh my God, you know, I've got 10 people here. How am I going to communicate that information to them? And what if they issues? I mean, I think I've been quite fortunate. You know, my students have been so good and so wonderful. Clearly, you know, obviously you have to help them out occasionally. And working together as well, you know, with Claudia, it's good. You, you need to have two people. So Claudia's okay. behind the camera. And then... When people have sort of signed into Zoom and they're cooking at home, what's been the difficulties of, of doing it that way? People found that, oh, how do I know when, I don't know, I've, I've whisked this, this... Well, they just right ask, thing. so, you know... Yeah. I, I, and it hasn't been difficult to explain and get the result? No, I don't, like I said, partly, I think, because of the diligence and the, the calibre of the students I've had. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously they, they were learning and they got value out of it, but they, I guess if it was... I, I don't know, you know, maybe if it was people who were really struggling and if there were 10 people who were really, really quite remedial, then maybe it would have been hard work over Zoom, mm. but people... Had, had a reasonable ability in the kitchen and, 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 you know, I was always there and I'm always quite understanding and patient and the lessons are meticulously planned to make sure that I've timed things and there's enough time sure. to, to go through things and, you know, I'm always there listening and Cloud is there to get that feedback from people as I'm obviously rushing around the kitchen too but, <laughs> but then, you know, she's making sure that the, the phone or the camera is actually focused in on what's going on at the right time and then getting the feedback from people. So if there's any questions, then I can answer it. And then obviously being patient with everyone and making sure that we give people time yeah. to get through each step before we get to the next one. And I've always planned the lessons so that, you know, if we're making a, a couple of things or two or three things, that everything's timed so that we work on one thing and then in parallel we'll start the other one and then the starter might be in the oven and then we're working on the second thing. And, Okay. maybe rustling up the dessert while we've got a bit of a break with the main so um it's actually quite a lot of fun it's been a massive learning uh, experience for me mm -hmm. as well in terms of refining this but i think we've got a good formula here yes, uh, yes. one that well we've had some great feedback yeah and um i just want to build upon this and make it better and i really look forward to having you know a number of supper clubs here as well and then and then cooking lessons but of course real life cooking lessons has its own challenges right so mm -hmm. You know, something you need to have a lot of infrastructure yourself. If you're going to have 10 people cooking at your place, then suddenly, mm. you know, you're talking about creating a cooking school. Yeah. Then you need to have those things in. Now, I know you can buy actually quite cheaply induction cookers and things. So these things are more accessible these days. So you'd end up, end up having maybe, you know, folding desks and stuff. And yes. I, I think there's ways around it. Or otherwise, you have people who turn up and maybe have more boutique one-to-one -one lessons. Uh, so everything has its challenges, right, you know, definitely, but, but definitely. I take your point about the Zoom mm. class and the fact that, you know, everyone's at home. So that gives, that is, that has an amazing benefit in that respect in terms mm. of then you don't need to have a huge space with many hobs and stuff like that. But then on the other hand, it's not really face to face. So. No. So for Saturday coming up, what's on the menu? Are you allowed to reveal or is it all? Oh, indeed. So we gave people a couple of options. What we've ended up is the, the title is Spice It Up, so the starter is, it, it, it's quite a kind of millennial 
sort of thing of um, obviously we know veganism has become a big thing and, yes, I, yeah. and I tried to make my uh, lessons accessible to a, a broad range of people so the start is going to be buffalo cauliflower wings uh, taking the famous American buffalo wing yeah interestingly <laughs> enough Buffalo that? wings are not the wings of buffaloes. No. Uh, it comes from Buffalo in New York State. Yeah. So, um, and when I went to the States the first time, I was obsessed by these things. Were you? I think I had the best buffalo wings ever with the blue cheese dip the first time. And, you know, it's like a drug addict. You're oh. always chasing that first hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tried to chase that first hit and uh, couldn't really replicate it. But... Um, You've got a bug in your hand. Have no, I got a bug in No, there? no, no, you haven't. Okay, no, cool. No. Because there was a, like a bug running around. There was a bug around. around but yeah, no, good, okay. Right. If I see it, I'll let you know. Thank you. I think it might <laughs> be psychosomatic. It's not, yeah, it's not in your head, don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> so buffalo wings. So yeah. buffalo cauliflower wings. Yeah. So what does that look like? So I'm working on the recipe right now, but yeah. um, my vision for it, and I know Leon has just started doing one oh. in the supermarket. Oh, really? Well, okay. But, but the vision is... Obviously, to make the food accessible yes. and, and, and easy enough. But um, the, the vision is crispy outside, yeah. but not fried because you know, we're not going to do deep frying because, no. one, it, it, it's hard work and it's dangerous and, and all of those things. So, mm. And also, it doesn't tend to be the healthiest. So yeah. Yeah. we're going to either bake or maybe shallow fry the cauliflower in a crispy coating. Okay. And then it will be drenched in Frank's hot sauce. So <laughs> That's the secret to buffalo wings. See, I just found out about Frank's hot sauce today. <laughs> you go. showed me the bottle. <laughs> and then all, all the secrets are coming out here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the idea is like, I'd like the cauliflower not to go to mush, to have mm. a bit of bite to it, mm. have a crispy exterior. You tend to combine it with a bit of butter or oil. So once you have that crispy cauliflower wing, you, d you drench it in that and okay. uh, put it back in the oven or on the pan for a few more minutes and absolutely delicious with a vegan uh, blue cheese dip. And uh, then for the main, we're going to go full on Indian. So I've had a lot of good comments for the Goan fish curry that I've made a few times. And so we're going to basically make that with the proviso that not everyone's eating fish. So if they want to put veg in there or they want to use tofu or they want to use chicken, mm -hmm. they can do. Okay. But the main thing is we make like a, a spice paste, so we'll make that, mm. and oh, uh, nice. you know, and then we'll get everything going while yeah. the cauliflower is doing its thing, mm -hmm. and uh, that's the vision. And the dessert. And then, so so in the past, we've done desserts, and not everyone's been on board because people are trying to be healthy and stuff. Yeah. So, so in this case, we're focusing on putting the work in for the okay. starter and the main, mm -hmm. and people can bring in whatever desserts, or dare I say it, make a dessert mm -hmm. beforehand. And let every know, everyone know the deliciousness that they've created. Okay. While well, we're eating, and nice. then you know, if people want to have a glass or two of wine, mm -hmm. then they can. Okay. While we sit down and eat together. Sounds delicious. And, uh, so, can them. anybody sign up to this course? Is there anybody can sign up? It's completely open. You do limit how many that you to a certain extent, yeah. 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 But um, so, like at 10 the moment, or 20 have, is yeah, sort of about 20 odd, I think mm. we say. Mm -hmm. So we obviously want to be able to give that feedback and yeah yeah um, in a manageable yeah in a man manageable way okay. yeah uh, wow sounds great so we'll put in the show notes are there still a few there are there's available? a few places available absolutely Fantastic. so if yeah. anybody's listening from around the world they can sign up 
Absolutely, yeah. Love to see you there. <laughs> okay. Let's go global, guys. Yeah, yeah I think it's about time, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Coolie's Kitchen goes global. Yeah. I mean, how, how far away have people signed up from? Is it generally been Generally London been in the UK? UK, but we've had one of our uh, lovely, lovely folk, uh, Namita, who um, she started doing the course, uh, our Look Good, Feel Good course in the UK, but then she headed over to California, which is where she's from. Okay. So she has cooked with us once. Oh, brilliant. While she's All been in California. Because yeah. that's the thing, it's the time difference yeah. as well, which yeah. can be... But a, I think uh, that works. I think, yeah, I think it works because it's such a time difference that it was her lunch while yeah. it was uh, our okay. dinner, which yeah. was cool. Seven hours, right? So, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there we go. So they were yeah, seven hours behind us. Okay. So that was so, cool. Yeah, guys, sign up to Kudu's So there you kitchen. go. To Delicious Nights In. Delicious Nights In. So, you know, maybe this time we'll have someone doing that for breakfast. You yeah, never know. <laughs> they could always keep yeah. it up later, I suppose. Have it yeah, like get some people in or from brunch. Melbourne. They could have it yeah, for brunch. They could have it for brunch. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. It'd be amusing if we had someone from Melbourne doing that for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Right. Okay, you Aussies, listen in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we're talking about multiculturalism in London, particularly a very multicultural city. And for you growing up as a Londoner in the city, you're a part of the melting pot as basically your first generation yes. Londoner. So how do you classify yourself? Do you just say, I'm a Londoner? Or do you in just, some situations say, I'm a, a Punjabi Londoner? Or I don't know. Um, I just normally say I'm Kuli, really. You're Kuli. Perfect. That's <laughs> and I guess that, that kind of sums it up. Um, yeah. I don't like all of this putting people into boxes. No, I agree. Um, there's far too much of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think being part of that melting pot, you know, when often when we're younger, obviously it has its, as, as discussed before, it has its challenges, it has its benefits. Mm. But, um, and, and we think about these boxes quite a lot. And I think as we too get often, older, too often, I think yeah. as we get older, we there's, there's boxes within boxes within boxes and, and identity is complex. And I think it's really, really good. And I, I'm, I'm so proud that... Um, the younger generations now, with the benefit of time and, and, and the fact that our views have changed and, and we're more accepting of other people, that, that they're so much more comfortable with identity mm. and accepting identity and its multiple layers, many, many faceted layers and, you know, of identity that we have yes. and the boxes that we all occupy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, really, that's a really good thing that younger people now and I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the battle is over and, you know, there's a lot of people with some very fixed ideas and prejudices. And obviously it can be easy in a way to say that people are more open in their ways of thinking in a place like London. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you move outside very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, things go back 30 or 40 years yeah. <laughs> in terms of thinking. Yeah, yes. Um, and obviously even within London, you know, within families and stuff, I guess there's some pretty backwards ways of thinking. But mm. I think it's good that on the whole, certainly on a generation basis, you know, yeah, kids, yeah. Um, you know, in terms of identity, and, and, and I think it's important, I think there's so many layers of identity, and it's just understanding that we should all honour those identities and just understand the humanity within all of us rather than trying to put people into boxes because it's pointless. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you visit uh, India, when you have visited India in, in the past, what kind of impact has that had on you? in terms of just how you view yourself as as a person and culturally within the world? I think when I was younger, it used to be quite a challenge. So um, 
you know, when you're a child, when you're kids, kids just don't understand. So imagine being eight years old or whatever, and then suddenly being transported to a world away. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to go home, really. Of course. I didn't really understand <laughs> what was going on. And, uh, yeah, and then often people wouldn't understand you because they wouldn't understand your English and they wouldn't understand your Punjabi. So it'd be like, <laughs> they wouldn't understand what you were saying. And half the time you wouldn't understand what they were saying as well. So. <laughs> but, you know, often these things are transcended by... Um, my family and stuff but you know so it's interesting but yeah I mean as you get older yeah I think I'll just go back to that you know you you understand that try and find that humanity humanity within all of us rather than mm. trying to put people into boxes so that's my personal view on it I, everyone might not think that way but um yeah I don't like that kind of them and us way of thinking no, no. but there is a lot of it out there and in terms of languages you now speak Spanish so in terms of languages, interestingly enough, when I went to nursery school, I didn't really speak that much English. Mm-hmm. Um, spoke Punjabi, mm-hmm. so Punjabi is my mother tongue. Yes. Uh, English, I speak a little bit of that. A little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I, at school, I, I can understand Hindi, which is the language of Bollywood. I don't really speak it, but I can understand it. Mm-hmm. At school, I learned French, so my French is actually okay because I spent a fair amount of time very fortunately, in my 20s in Paris, working in Paris, so, and having learned it at school, I guess, kind of 50-50, I can understand and speak, mm-hmm. uh, a smattering of German, a very small amount of German. And then, yes, I'd love to be fluent in Spanish. But okay, you're on that journey. Yeah, puedo hablar poquito, quiero hablar más, con tiempo. So, yeah. With um, time. With time, yes. <laughs> I'd like to learn to speak Spanish. Uh, which language, when you, when you do speak the language, do you enjoy speaking the most? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I like, Having just been addicted to the show Call My Agent on, on Netflix, which is an amazing show set in Paris about okay. um, these acting agents. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But it just reminded me how wonderful Paris is. It's the cinematography of showing like the streets of Paris. And yes. The language is so beautiful. I do think like you know, when you hear them <laughs> swearing and you know, just being typically Gallic and, and yeah. that kind of flowing. It's a, it's a very beautiful and sexy language. But yes, I do like Spanish as well. It's, mm. it's, really, it's really cool. And obviously Spanish has its own place, given that so many parts of the world speak it. And it, is, yeah. it, and it can be quite beautiful as well, I think. So, um, yeah. The jury is out. Yeah, the jury is out. If you think about how many languages and how many dialects yeah. there are on this planet, I've got some friends who know like so many different languages Mm. and ask them which language resonates for them and I often think does the language you speak affect the way you think do you know that's obviously that that thing about you know Eskimos and having 20 words for snow or the fact that the way we see the um, electromagnetic spectrum and the way we say green blue yellow you know the the way we've divided it is not how every culture divides the electromagnetic spectrum so it's the interaction between language and thought Again, that could be a whole other podcast. It could. I'll be back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. I'll do, do my of, research. I need to do a bit of research. <laughs> yeah. Both of us, yeah. <laughs> um, so in, the, in, in all the places that you have been in the world so far, where has had the biggest impact or influence on you? In what way? Perhaps changed your way of thinking or opened your eyes to, to a world beyond that which you had understood until until now that's really interesting i think i think because i've not spent enough time in most of those places because i've gone pretty much as a as a tourist 
dare I say, I'd rather say traveller, but yeah. often we end up on this conveyor belt, right? So mm. everyone loves to say, oh, yeah, I'm not a tourist, I'm a traveller. But mm -hmm. Well, actually, not everyone, but many of us mm. have this kind of snobbery, don't we, that we want to... But inevitably, I think we all end up in the capitalistic churn of a place to some extent. It turns out to be a tick box exercise. Exercise, exactly. If, if so not, often. If not, and then we're all on, you know, lonely planet and, you know, we're all on the same things. And mm -hmm. Obviously, at, at scale, these things end up going that way. But um, I think, to be honest, you need to spend a bit of time in a place to, to, to get that and to really get your... Going back to that thing about language and, you know, the way people think and... and um, that being driven by the ways you think being different in different cultures. I think you need to spend a lot of time in a place. And I'm not sure I've had everything turned upside down enough. Mm. Uh, I haven't spent so long like you have, you know, traveling around. Maybe that's the next chapter to, yes. to actually spend enough time somewhere else to have that. And I think you probably don't need to go that far to find certain things yeah. changing. And obviously, we, we I think even you just need to go to France, right, where you just see that things are a bit topsy-turvy in terms of the way they see the world. Sometimes yeah. for the better, sometimes for the worse. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, Where would you head if you were given the chance to pack your bags and leave tonight? Where would Spain. You so, yeah. For me, Spain. it's about Spain. I, I've, I've always loved Spain. I just love the culture and, and the people. And like I said, the food. It's amazing, isn't I it? I just think, yeah, they just, <laughs> um, they just get on with it. The Italians like to sort of prance around and preen and don't get me wrong, their food is good. Yes. But the Spanish... No are, disrespect to the Italians. No disrespect to the, I wouldn't dare disrespect the Italians. So, yeah, <laughs> but Spain very, has your... your, your Spain, has yeah, your and, and funnily enough, from, you know, hearts. I was reading a book recently about... Um, or, or something on the internet, anyway, about, about Spain and the way... Uh, I think it was some old um, footage of some documentary or, or maybe some BBC footage of people poo-pooing the Spaniards and the, it had such a bad reputation really? going to Spain. because remember it was the era of Franco yes you know so the, the Spanish culture you've got to understand until the 70s where obviously the whole tourist thing where suddenly it opened up before mm. that it was uh, under the Franco regime mm. yes. Spain yes, was held back and yeah. people had this view of Spanish food being truly awful obviously now we've got a world of Places like San Sebastian with more mm. Michelin mm. star places than anywhere else. And so many Spanish places, you know, Spain has become so famous now for, for gastronomy and and it just opened up. And, you know, obviously like places like El Bulli and stuff, El Bulli and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. So, so many amazing places now. So, um, <laughs> But you may, you're going to make me laugh because the UK has a terrible reputation for its, for its food. But it's changed again in the last... 20, 30 years, I would say. But I had a horrendous, I mean, certainly from the Spanish and the French coming here and what, you know, Marmite sandwiches. And, yeah, good and, point. And good um, point. chip buddy sandwiches. It reminds yeah. me of uh, Down and Out in uh, Paris and London by Orwell, where, you yes. know, there's the two parts of the book where, you know, when he's in France, it's all red wine and baguettes subsisting on. It makes me laugh. It's that Mediterranean way where, in many ways, like red wine's cheaper than water, right? Yeah, you know? yes. Whereas here, it's all cups of tea and, like, I think it was cups of tea and, you know, some blessed but buttered toast. Exactly. You know? <laughs> that would be the equivalent, cups of tea and, uh, and bread, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, sorry, all well, if I got that wrong. <laughs> I think... Well, I know when I came back from being in the Balkans for, for a number of years, or it was almost eight years I was away, 
coming back and suddenly the coffee culture was here, I thought, what's, what's happened? That was I've when the Australians away. landed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now it's incredible. It's like a different, it, it is a different world to, to the one I had, I had left for a while. So it was quite nice to come back to it and be a part of it because that's where the bookshop had, had their cafe Indeed. too. So we were able to take advantage of that as, as well. And you talked about gallows food. So what would be your gallows food? Your last That's meal. That's a good question. Um, I've thought about this, and it hasn't really changed. It's good. I think it would be quite simple. It would be something like a basic, really good Indian meal, I think, like a chicken curry, homemade, mm-hmm. with love, and like chapatis that have just come off, off the stove, off the tava, mm-hmm. as you saw earlier. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what else. Maybe roasted aubergines. Mm-hmm. And some yogurt with cucumber, just a, a good balanced <laughs> meal with some pickle. So maybe some rice. You know, just a good. It's good a good meal. meal maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I need to think about what mine would be. It's an interesting question, isn't it? It is because I know for for me my tastes and what I love as a child and even right up until I was twenties, thirties is has changed quite radically in the last I would say five, ten years. Five years definitely. Maybe even in the last year, more and more about fresh vegetables and herbs and spices as well. Even though I've eaten in food markets around the world, I still defaulted back to what I used to love, which was toad in the hole, Yorkshire pudding, you know, with sausages. And now, Can't now, beat that now, stuff. I, now, no. it, now it's not really on my radar in the way that it used to be. Yeah. Oh, toad in the hole is amazing. Yeah, it is. Oh, a good no. pie, a good pie and <laughs> a mash. Good pie. <laughs> no, I've a really good steak missed that. Guinness pie. <laughs> I've so missed. That's one of the biggest things I've missed with the fact that we've had. We've just been through winter, like autumn and winter, and actually a fairly cold spring right now. Mm. Is that you know being able to go to a pub and have a good pub lunch, like yes. a like a roast. Yeah. On uh, a day like today, where the sun's been out and yeah. sitting outside in the garden, yeah. spring day. Just a good roast or yeah. a pie, you know, a pie served for you. It's one of the nicest things, and we'll we'll get back. We will. Yeah. Not long now. Yeah. Hopefully. When I arrived, we just did a little Instagram film of you cooking the kind of pancake. Yeah, like a well, not a pancake, more like a like a like chapati? a roti. Yeah, like, like a roti, roti chapati, but but it's like a. This is from the Gujaratis, it's from Western India, it's called tepla. So it's made with Indian chapati flour, which is normally, it's a whole wheat flour, but I think it's normally, I think it's milled more finely. So therefore it produces those lovely, you know, a, a proper roti or chapati done well. It's, it's amazing, like, you know, it's something I've grown up with, but I think a lot of people don't appreciate how how amazing it is. It's like, if it, it's got to be thin, mm-hmm. and then, it, you know, when you, when you cook it on the, on the, the tava, it will puff up. Mm-hmm. It's just a miracle lovely, to me. Yeah. Yeah. But this tepla is like it's some of that flour. It's got some other flours, which is why it's so healthy. It's got gram flour, which I think a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. It's quite famous, you know. Which is a couscous made from. It's made from, from uh, um, chickpeas or chickpeas. Sorry, yes. Or uh, yeah, so made from chickpeas. I think it's actually one of the pastas anyway. And then it's got two other grains in it. It's got millet mm-hmm. flour, which is quite dark. Very good for you, it's high in fiber. And then sorghum, mm-hmm. which is another ancient grain, I think. Mm. So it has a combination of all of those. It's got a load of spices, and then it's got this herb, fenugreek. So, or we call it in Hindi, methi. It's an amazing herb. 
we often use it quite a lot of cooking. It can be used in, in like a really amazing, it's so aromatic, you get it in like chicken curries. We, we use it dried as well. We can use it dried in, in, in certain dishes as well. But obviously people that might be familiar with the seeds too. Mm-hmm. But this and that dough, it's got, uh, you know, the dough with, with all of those flours. It's also got uh, the moisture comes from uh, putting yogurt in there and the moisture comes out as you need it. Mm-hmm. comes out of that all of that methi that all of the uh, fenugreek leaves that are you know been chopped up finely in it so it's yeah. very healthy and i like to make a load of it and then that's a, an easy and accessible lunch and have it with a pickle and i made a i made a homemade i had a homemade pickle sat on the side as well that which, was delicious yeah, really you. really good yeah. so that had carrot and so, green chili yeah so the traditional i think is carrot and green chili but i added a bit of red pepper and, and a bit of ginger which i think is fairly traditional and then it's got loads of like pickling spices, like Indian sort of five spices of pickling one. So yes, the fenugreek seeds. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a nice segue there and a um, number of other spices and um, mustard oil mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, mustard seeds are key. Yes. Fenugreek seeds, uh, fennel, and then two others and, and mustard seeds, okay. uh, mustard oil. That was delicious, really. And, and the two together, it's so nice delicious combo, and right? really filling as well. I mean, it's just... Just had one and it was it was it's filled me up. <laughs> yeah, I mean there you go, and that's I think again the key of like just knowing having real food with fibre in it. Definitely. Rather than just eating loads of processed food, where you the more you eat, seemingly the more hungry you get, right? Yeah. Because you know it's all of the goodness has been taken out, mm. and then they add. So they firstly they they create stuff that's highly refined. So your mm. blood sugar just goes up automatically. Yeah. It's got God knows what else in there in terms of weird chemicals and emulsifiers and stuff that basically black your microbiome. Mm. But suddenly your sugar level, you know, your insulin's going up. And then by the end of it, half an hour later, you're hungry again because, yeah. you know, you're just creating a hole in your stomach. You yeah, know. yeah. There's no fiber. So then you're not feeding your microbiome. There's none of those prebiotics either. You eat a proper real meal with like some, you know, real things in it. And yeah. suddenly, you know, you imagine you had that, you would have had it with some yogurt. So you've got the protein from the yogurt. Mm. And obviously there's protein in, in, in those flours as well. Unrefined Definitely. carbohydrates, lots yeah. of fiber. And then, you know, maybe you would have some fruit afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be, you wouldn't be hungry and no. you wouldn't have actually eaten that much in terms of the dreaded calories. You don't need calorie count because your body's sated yeah. with yeah. not that much food, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas you could eat loads of like refined food. You could eat white bread and just feel hungry a second later yeah like, you just want to which have has more got loads of chemicals because in. it's just it's, it's almost like there's something in there that makes you want to eat more and more and more before you know that you've eaten sort of but the like key point is bread the, yeah, the key, still not full. yeah the key point is there's no fiber so you're not actually it's not helping your system run and um, your blood sugar immediately goes through the roof mm-hmm. and then so half an hour later you feel sluggish and you want some more yeah i've read a lot about nutrition and you know there's this guy gary tobes who's written this book, Why We Get Fat. And you just have this metabolic setting. And so people get, the dial gets moved into this metabolic setting where they're in a very insulin resistant mode. Mm, mm-hmm. Where they're constantly, their body's just flooded with insulin. And, yeah, and yeah. whatever they eat, it just basically, it just basically gets added on as fat. You know, they, they don't, it doesn't get, it doesn't improve the energy in their body. Mm. So one is the engine's not running right and they're adding more f- bad fuel to the engine which is dysfunctional. Yes, yeah. And so, yeah. You have that, that means you have these spikes and dips all the time. So exactly. So you're like ready to go or you're just 
spikes and dips, yeah. but also your your ne the body, yeah, the energy is not actually going into fueling you as a human being. Actually, no. it just goes into uh, into your fat cells. Yeah. yeah, it just goes into increasing those fat cells because that's where you are, and uh, it, you know it it, it's, it can be reversed, but you know it needs to it needs a lot of intervention to sort of change, you know, change the way the habits and, and, and change things so that then then our metabolic system moves in a healthier way where, mm -hmm. you know, your insulin doesn't go up and down and, and your blood sugar doesn't go up and down. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, so everything's a lot level. Cooley's Kitchen. So guys, listen in to Cooley's Kitchen. Uh, follow him on Instagram, Cooley's underscore... Cooley's underscore kitchen, kitchen. yes. We'll put that in the show notes. And well, we may well come and visit you in Spain when Cooley's Kitchen is a kitchen in Spain. Possibly. Always welcome. <laughs> Def definitely. One last piece of advice to the podcast listeners. If you're on this journey at the moment between having been in the corporate world, being a consultant, and now also driving forward in this new direction. But you're kind of balancing these two journeys at the moment while you perhaps switch over totally um, for someone else looking to for that switch trying to trying to follow their path of creativity what kind of advice would you give to them to get started you know so many of us have this imposter syndrome is, mm. is what they often call it right so we have that voice in our head that tells us that we can't do something and we've got to remember that when we look up, we see that the mountain is so far away and it's so high and it's so impossible to get there. And yes, you know, it seems easier to just sit on the sofa and watch the next Netflix episode, <laughs> right? Yeah. And obviously the world around us wants us to do that, just be part of the system. I guess the advice would be, well, it's hard not to listen to that imposter, the, the little voice in our head, but is to not judge and not think too much and not navel gaze too much and to take one step after the other put our blinkers on and carry on that journey of consistency is easier said than done and mm. like you know often you see these little memes and stuff on the internet you know or whatever but yeah it's never a straight line so there's no. never a straight line it's always ziggity zaggity embrace the ziggity zaggity embrace the the joy of that journey and the the where that journey can take you know that you might be looking at that peak and in fact, the peak that you're really heading to is going to end up that way, the other, the other peak, and, and it may be extremely circuitous. Yes. But that's, you know, again, to quote many a platitude or whatever, you know, we've got to enjoy the journey rather yes. than focusing on that destination. I know it's sorry for No, but it's for so true. That, but it, it is, is yeah, true. These because, truisms as such. But, because yeah. it's as you take step by step and you actually, you're assessing as you're going step by step that other opportunities or choices come in your path that then do lead you in, in another direction to the one that perhaps initially you thought was was for you and, and you never know do you? you never know and no. it's like we, none of us can just sit here at one point in time and go i'm going to do x and y or z because the world is changing we are changing Definitely. and remember i guess the other big point is you can't do it on your own no. it's all about people and mm. You know, I've been saying to you, Cooley's Kitchen is about people. And having gone through this pandemic, it's even more important. People are understanding it's about people. No man is an island. No. We can't do it ourselves. No. So it's, you know, so we have to have that openness. And obviously, it's important that we work with other people for them to help us. But we collaborate 
and indeed of course we help them so yeah. it's having that view that we, we were out there to help each other mm. and then there you know the world is a wonderful place and there's so many opportunities but we have to be open to it and I think for me certainly you know when I was younger and I'm hey I'm still working on this but there's that negativity in my head there's that imposter syndrome there's that in, in terms of my interactions with other people we put people on pedestals we think everyone we else do. has got the answer yeah. but you know we're all going through this world sort of not knowing what the hell's going on so mm. I think maybe it's being a bit more cheeky and I think coming out of the pandemic I need to do more of that is getting out and being cheeky and going well you know I've got this uh I'm following your curiosities and it's something that you know I learned about very much when I did this course Escape the City which again we could talk about another time but yes. you know it's following your curiosities and you know we talked about olive oil didn't we and that's a major curiosity for me and you yes. talked about your friend so yes. and yes. it's not just listening Ali-hoo's, and going yeah yes. there we go yes. and so note to self is to make sure that we we end up talking and engaging with that person definitely because yes. you know I don't do enough of that if I hear something that interests me Mm-hmm. is to not just go, okay, that's great, but go, no, I'm going to find out more and I'm going to do it. Um, support each other. Support really, each other. It? And being out there in the Mediterranean is important to me. And I dare I say, we may well be doing some stuff out in various parts of uh, the Mediterranean. I might be doing some stuff in Tuscany. I might be looking at some stuff in San Sebastian. Watch this space. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's when exciting. we collaborate and maybe, yeah. you know, people can do some stuff in London. And, yeah. and, yes. and I'm here to help people do that. So... Fantastic. Yeah, but we do, you know, I think a lot of us struggle. And I think sometimes, you know, when I when I tell people what I've been doing, you know, people who don't know, and then suddenly you come out of yourself and you look at yourself and like, what would the, me 10 years ago think? And, and and sometimes it's it's that thing, isn't it? Where we look back at ourselves 10 years later and, yeah. and we forget the amount of progress we've actually made. Exactly. And, yeah, and, yeah know, good point. You know, yeah. we're so inside ourselves and yeah. so sort of in the everyday toings and throwings of life we forget how far we have actually come definitely no totally thank you Cooley I mean as you say this is all about the podcast is all about traveling through London the world and life so it's it is all a journey and um and it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast I hope you've enjoyed it (laughs) Emma I've really really enjoyed it it's been been great chatting a quick plug again so it's coolies underscore Cooley's underscore kitchen on Instagram. On yeah. Instagram and anywhere else that uh, the podcast listeners can find you. Is that for the, the moment? That's, that's the, the best place to find me. I'm sure. looking at getting a, a website. And just just contact me. You know, we're going to do a lot of good stuff going forward. Coming out of this, there'll be mm-hmm. supper clubs. There'll be cooking lessons in real life and over Zoom, both in groups and one to one. So it's going to be an exciting journey. And I'm, you know, how we talked about all of this stuff and. Um, the journey I'm, I know it's going to be really exciting going forward so I really really look forward to uh, working with you guys and helping you to cook some amazing food and help you become more confident in the kitchen fantastic and be healthy and vibrant <laughs> and all of those good things that sounds that sounds great so we'll, we'll definitely do a follow-up in a year or so's time wherever you are in the world but for now Cooley thank you so much and to all our podcast listeners out there i hope you've enjoyed today's podcast if you have please do share with your friends give us a rating and a review that'd be fantastic and also subscribe if you have time have a good rest of the week we'll be back again next week with another podcast episode but from cooley and i take care thanks for listening and bye for now